where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And first up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Lydia Thorpe. Um, she's um, an Indigenous woman and also has done some work in regards to looking at whether or not um, Aboriginal people need to be included in the Constitution. Of course, they do need to be included, but we also need to have a look at this topic, topic very thoroughly and revisit again, given that there are some urgent issues in regards to treaty and in regards to unfinished business and lack of consultation. And it seems to me that we need to have a look at some of that and look at some of the issues that have been undermined in the mainstream media. Um, then after that, so yeah, we're going to look at the, the Gamma Festival anyway and look at that. And then after that, we'll be speaking with um, Ian from the Re Refugee Solidarity Network and he'll be speaking about the US deal regarding asylum seekers and refugees. There was a SNAP action on Friday um, organised by the Refugee Action Collective as protest grows on Manus and Nauru. Um, and the Refugee Action Collective called that snap solidarity protest to demand the Turnbull government bring the refugees here. So without any further ado, we're now going to be um, crossing over to Lydia now. And we'll be speaking with her right now, I hope. Hello, Lydia. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thank you. Good to be here. Lovely to have you. Now, Lydia, I'm wondering... If you could just introduce yourself first and let us know what land what land you're from and, and talk a little bit about the work sure. that you've been doing in regards to um, this topic. Mm -hmm. So my name's Lydia Thorpe. I'm a Gunai Gunditjmara woman. And basically um, I've been working with the Victorian Traditional Owner Land Justice Group who originally were on the Interim Treaty Working Group with the state government um we we went to about a dozen meetings um in the you know in the in the early days and come to a point where um we felt that our um we were being compromised our integrity yep. was being compromised um it was a you know it was a labor government's agenda that was um you know, they, the priority rather than the priority of the grassroots people that had been calling for a treaty, you know, for, for over 40 years, um, particularly coming from Victoria and people like my uncle Robbie Thorpe. Um, so basically the whole uh, treaty discussion was, was, I believe, railroaded by this government agenda and has been ever since by, um, you know, employing... Um, consultants such as Ernst Young and, you know, looking, giving them 500 or so thousand dollars to go around and talk to our people in a way that um, I believe was was not 
a proper consultation process in the way that our people can relate to and understand and want to be a part of. So it was a waste of money and it was and it certainly was a waste of our people's time because they haven't been able to, um, you know, get much out of that. And they certainly have, you know, they're not listening to the people because they're just about to announce a community assembly, which no one has agreed to. But they seem to be just pressing on and doing what they see to be the priority in the lead up to the next election. So, Lydia, can you describe to us the nature of this assembly and and talk about who who are the who is they and and what sort uh, of assembly is it? Well, good question. <laughs> um, so, they are the interim treaty working group um, who sits in Aboriginal Victoria and yes. advise Aboriginal Victoria on the treaty um, talks thus far. Um, that group is made up of um, Aboriginal organisation representatives and Aboriginal corporation representatives um, who say that they're they're there as individuals, but I, you know, I, I um, question that. that. Yes. Um, and they're certainly, you know, individuals that already advise the um, Minister for Aboriginal Affairs on a number of other issues or areas that relate to our people. So, you know, at the end of the day, I I believe them to be government picks. Um, It hasn't gone out to the people the way it should have been. And in terms of the Assembly, um, I I believe that they are looking to advertise out to community and it will be an application process and the interim treaty working group members will decide on who gets a seat in the assembly. And I understand the number to be approximately 30 people. Um, and, you know, it, the Victorian Traditional Owner Land Justice Group have been advocating for a clan based treaty discussion. Um, but also, you know, people like my grandmother, Alma Thorpe, who's a very respected elder. Um, who set up the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service with Uncle Bruce McGuinness back in 1973 and, you know, fought for our people's rights and still does today. You know, it's, it's elders that are also saying, where are our clans' voices and where are our elders' voices? And, and both of those, you know, most crucial, fundamental parts of our communities and culture are being totally disregarded as part of this process. And I think that's where it, it lacks the, the credibility and accountability to the people. Sadly lacking in mainstream media, and I've, I've done a fair bit of listening and, and research, and nowhere in my research has have there been any interviews in regards to discussing the unfinished business that has happened with First Nations people over hundreds of years. And... Basically, what has been focused on, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Lydia, is that it's it's all like they're saying that it's okay to, it's important to recognise Aboriginal people in the Constitution. Um, not much has been talked about as far as treaties concerned, and they want to actually do that first, don't they? They want the government wants to put in the Aboriginal people into the Constitution, 
Yes. So, and they'll no longer be considered flora and fauna. Excuse me. Mm. But sorry, Lydia. But it's you know I, don't, I know I know I sound really harsh, don't I? But well, yeah. I, it, it, yeah, look, it's in the best interest for... Yes, it is. Um, I'm, I'm not saying it isn't. But, ...government but, uh, yeah. to... Well, yeah. to put us into the Constitution because that will negate a treaty. Yes, yes. So in all the work that needs to happen for this country to finally come to some some agreement with its first people, there's gonna there's, it's going to take some work. Correct. And I don't, I don't think that the Liberal government or, or even, you know, if Labor got in... They're not going to put time and resources into treaty discussions with the, you know, the hundreds of clans around this country. Precisely. To be able to have real dialogue, real discussion with every, you know, every clan that has been affected from, you know, in the last 230 years. So, of course, it's in, in their best interest to put us in their constitution. Sure. But it's not in our best interest because it will take away so many of our rights or what rights that we have, you know, left, which which aren't many anyway. Um, but it certainly puts our sovereignty, um, you know, in question. Let's talk and, about that, Lydia. So, so when you um, say rights, so 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 you've said that it's within the the government's best interests to have Aboriginal mm-hmm. people in there, and. What about so, okay? Let's say tomorrow it was decided that um, First Nations people will be placed into the constitution. Tell us how those rights would then be violated. Um, well, it would be yeah. It, to me, it would be done and dusted. Our our um, would would come under the supremacy of Parliament, which is is a you know powerful um, government. Um, um, ownership, I suppose, within their their constitution. Um, I believe that you know things like crown land would be um, at risk with what little crown land there is, of course. But also our you know our connection, our sovereignty to this to this place um, would be taken away, and I th- I think through a treaty that we can work towards an agreement that doesn't do that. Um, a Going in, into the Constitution, you know, we, we'll just become like everybody else in the country. We will just slowly die off, slowly assimilate, and we'll just become like everybody else. We won't have any further rights to our own country than anybody else. And it will save a lot of money for, um, you know, taxpayers, I suppose, to just put us into the, the constitution and get on with it. But it'll create a lot of heartache and a lot of um, unrest that we don't need in this country right now. And I think for Aboriginal people to come together with non-Aboriginal people in this country, we need to have meaningful respectful dialogue around treaty and what that means for Aboriginal people and what that means for non-Aboriginal people. And part of the negotiation could be that we eventually go into the constitution, but there's there's unfinished business, as you say, that needs needs to be um, addressed before we 
agree to going into the Constitution. The only ones agreeing to go into the Constitution right now, in terms of these Aboriginal leaders that they keep referring to, are ones that are either working with mining companies or the politicians right now in the Labor government and, and, the, um, and the Liberal government. They're not, the, you know, the everyday grassroots people that you talk to. They're not the, the majority of the traditional owners in this country. I thank you for explaining that. And I really also want to set the record straight about the Uluru Statement. Um, and I know you and I discussed this off air this morning. Can you talk about that? Because, um, you know, it seems to me that um, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people are speaking in the mainstream media about the fact that the Uluru Statement needs to be recognised. And yet a lot of people didn't agree with that and the consultation process apparently wasn't all that that great. Is that right? That's true. Um, and it's unfortunate because it's got such a beautiful name and it's got some, some really lovely words contained in the statement. However, the the background to the statement is quite horrific and and I and I use that harsh word because there's people that are still reeling in the trauma that was associated to that statement being made. And it's things like exclusive processes that locked out grassroots people all around this country to have a say at those referendum meetings. You can ask anybody around the country, you know, did you get an invite to the referendum council's regional dialogue? Majority of people will say no. It, the people who were invited or the people who were um, and, and attended were corporations and organisations. They had a sprinkle of um, community, not many, but where they did, those voices were um, over, you know, overtaken by the, the corporations. Um, and then once we got to Yalara, um, the people that questioned constitutional reform or recognition were ostracised and made out to be troublemakers or um, negative people, which is what Marcia Langton um, spoke of yesterday. Um, Marcia so, Langton said that? Yeah, yeah. She referred to the walkout group as negative um, people that no one should take notice of, which, you know, obviously it's impacted if Marcia Langton's talking about it. Um, and she knows good well that, you know, that walkout group of 25 people were representative of many, many, many thousands of Aboriginal people across this country. And they, there were senior elders part of that walkout group, staunch senior elders that have been fighting our fight, you know, for 50 years, over 50 years. And, and you know, their old people fought for our rights. So, you know, we had, we had threats put upon us um, which I believe the Referendum Council was responsible for to, as part of, in, you know, their intimidation tactics. Um, so when I see the Uluru Statement from the heart, it does, you know, it brings up some pretty bad memories and pretty bad processes that everybody who attended that forum is aware of. 
and um, the walkout groups and others are still reeling from that and want justice in terms of it's not it wasn't from from the heart in terms of um, its validity or its you know it, it didn't have the heart and the passion that they say that it did because it actually hurt a lot of people and um, and tribal law was was pulled out to intimidate people which I think um, negates any heart statement from the heart what do you mean by that what tribal law well there were a few members of the walkout group that were threatened with right. physical violence while they were in Uluru while they were in Yalara so they weren't able to go back to their rooms that night and they had to go and sleep out in the bush and be protected what? so there's some serious serious oh. offences that occurred um, because people spoke out and and the things that people spoke out about were things like free, informed, prior consent. Where is it? Why are we talking about treaty when we all come here to talk about constitutional recognition? If we're going to talk about treaty, then people need to understand what that means. And if people fully understood what treaty meant, then they wouldn't be backing a constitutional reform. So... There was no free informed prior consent. There was no information given out to anybody who attended the the convention. There were many, many um, people whose English was their third language, and when we spoke to them in you know outside and at dinners and um, in the breaks, they had no idea what constitutional recognition was going to do for us or what it meant. And so, I, you know, that was quite disheartening and, it, and I know for a fact, because I spoke to elders, that they felt quite ill <laughs> that our people were being railroaded and used for an agenda which wasn't ours. Nothing's really changed in some ways, Lydia, has it? I mean, it's... Uh, look at what well, happened. We, we went know? there with hope, you know. Yes. We... we thought that, okay, deadly, biggest mob, you know, a lot of states are for treaty. Um, the majority of this country are, are against constitutional recognition. So we, you know, we, we had hope that we'd come away with a really good um, commitment or at least, a, you know, a way forward that would allow our people to, to have a conversation about treaty. But that um, that wasn't the case, and you know we had we had Noel Pearson there who who wrote a book prior to the Uluru Convention on constitutional reform and the roadmap to constitutional reform, and that's all that was pushed at the convention was his agenda, and yeah, it, it, it's really disappointing, um, and it I think it's. It's quite criminal what occurred on all fronts to our people. People walked away just feeling disenfranchised and, um, yeah, like it was just a waste of people's time. And, and creating major divisions our... as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Major division. division. Yeah. Yes. I yes. mean, my hair just stands up on end hearing all this. It's standing up on end. Mm. It's it's it, words yeah. can't just can't even describe it. I mean, it's even that's why I I made that comment, Lydia, before about mm. how you know sometimes I do refer back to. Aboriginal people that they're, in some ways they were treated like flora and fauna. You, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? That you understand, don't you? What I'm saying? Absolutely. You know. Look, honestly, I think we would have been better under that act than we are now. <laughs> you I know, mean, we may have had more rights. I'm hoping than what we do now. I, I'm really hoping that you know that there can be a way to have that treaty in place and to try to discuss and address that finished business and then afterwards. Mm. You know, there's a time and a place, isn't it, to to have the, the constitution and it's not too late. It's never mm. too late, is it? Well, we're patient people. Um, you know, 230 years. What What's going to change if we go into the constitution? Nothing's going to change. There's no healing from going into a constitution. Nothing will change. Is it going to change, you know, Elijah Doherty's family's lives? I don't think so. Is it going to change Miss Do's family's lives? I don't think so. So our people need healing, and I believe a treaty can bring that because yeah. you have to have healing to have a conversation about treaty. If, if non-Aboriginal people understood what they can get out of a treaty and how it's not something to be afraid of. You know, they can be part of the healing. They can um, feel good about being in this country. Considering the fact that it is their country. Exactly. And, you know, what about all the the nuclear, the the nuclear waste dumps? You know, they they Mm. want to... Ruined country and and look recently mm. wasn't it Lester that that died as a result of becoming blind from the nuclear yeah. testing in the nineteen sixties? Yeah, has that been right. acknowledged? Nothing's nothing. I mean, the frontier wars haven't been acknowledged. No, you know, and I was part of that that march on um, on Anzac Day with the frontier mob and. It's the furthest we got ever, apparently, in the last seven years of marching at the back of the march um, to have our frontier wars at least acknowledged. Um, but still, you know, we had to wait till the procession was finished and all the formalities were finished and, and then we were able to lay flowers um, in recognition of our frontier wars. So... There's so much healing that has to occur. Going into the Constitution right now will only cause us more damage. So, Lydia, what can what can we do to help each other? What can happen to to, to well, try to move forward here? Well, it's the, the Labor. I believe if the Labor government get in next year, we're doomed. So we need to put pressure on on the voters and on these MPs not to, you know, to say no to constitutional recognition um, or stop Labor from getting in. I mean, we don't have much of a choice. I, you know, the two major parties are, are worse than one another. Stopping um, Labor from getting in, one, though, is not going to help, I don't think, because... At, at, well, yeah. 
Well, as soon as they get in, they'll have us in the Constitution. They believe that they're Aboriginal leadership. Yep, absolutely. And you don't think there can be any hope for for consultation? Oh, well, according to the Referendum Council, they've done the consultation. Already? Through the dialogues. Oh, my goodness. Well, I hope that changes and I hope that we can, you know... We, I hope that that changes, but I invited you mm. on the show, Lydia, to talk about all this, you, you know, to mm. to discuss this unfinished business. Mm. And, yeah, go on. We need a treaty. We need a treaty and we need to put pressure where we can on calling for a sovereign treaty in this country. People need and to that, write to, their sen- to the senators, I think, don't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we need a we need a sovereign treaty, not a not a corporate treaty, not what this, this Victorian state government are doing, which is a corporate treaty. We need a real sovereign treaty that that yeah. starts with healing. Correct. Yep. Correct. Lydia, thank you so much for coming onto the program. This is Three CI Community Radio doing time show, and we are very honoured to have Lydia Thorpe on this show speaking about what's really happening, not just what the main media perspective is. Thanks so much, Lydia. Thank you. Hopefully we can have you back on very soon. No worries. Take care. Thank you soon. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. And that was Lydia Thorpe um, speaking about a lot of unfinished business and looking at a lot of um, Disturbing elements in regards to the consultation process and some misrepresentation of um, Aboriginal elders in regards to looking at a treaty um, before one actually includes Aboriginal people into the constitution. And she speaks a lot about the the terrible, terrible division, terrible division um, amongst Aboriginal peoples. And I'm hoping that that there can be some type of bridge organised here to address some of these things. Keep Radical Radio on the air. Pledge your support for a 3CR program during Radiothon. To make your pledge, call us on 9419 8377 or visit us at the station, 21 Smith Street in Collingwood, and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. You can also visit the website 3cr.org.au or if you prefer post, send your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us which program you would like your donation to go to. Support radical programs with passion. Melbourne 3CR.
Oh. 
and you're back with the Doing Time show and you just heard a song, Treaty, that was actually performed live by a bunch of um, quite amazing and strong Aboriginal artists and quite quite acceptable and, and quite appropriate um, given the material that we were discussing before about unfinished business. It's approximately 4.35 and we're speaking now with Ian from Sydney who's done a lot of work um, on refugee and asylum seeker rights. Hello, Ian. Yeah, hi. Welcome. Yeah, Ian, could you. you just give a quick introduction and say where you're from? Uh, yeah, I'm from the Refugee Action Coalition in Sydney. Uh, so, yeah, we've been doing you know a lot of stuff for a lot of years. Uh, we were set up originally to you know, fight the uh, policies that the Howard government was putting in place and uh, you know, One Nation at the time when they started to you know, increase the issues by extending the detention regime in Australia and, of course, um, you know, raising all the, you know, the racism and Islamophobia that was associated with the, the uh, Howard government's policies, which have been continued by the Labor Party and, um, yeah, and again, you know, continued in even worse form by the Abbott government, now the Turnbull government. Indeed. And, um, in fact, you, you may have heard that there was a Melbourne event um, recently at Trades Hall hosted by the Refugee Action Collective who was talking about how to break um, partisan support and work out how to um, provide the Labor Party, how they can provide support to, to help with these policies. Yes. Yeah, look, it's been a strategic issue really since the beginning of the campaign uh, because one of the things which I think uh, politically which holds the campaign back is the fact that there is bipartisan support for, you know, all the refugee policies essentially, including, and yeah, well, not including, but in particular with offshore, you know, detention which was put in place, you know, by, uh, well, initially by Howard, of course, under the Pacific Solution the first time around, but most recently it was by, it was by Rudd. Uh, you know, in, in 2007, just prior to the uh, to the election that he you know lost to the Abbott government, um, and the Abbott government has extended uh, you know some of the things that Rudd put in place. But uh, there's no doubt that the you know opening Nauru, opening Manus Island, the declaration that people wouldn't be able to be you know resettled in Australia, uh, the you know all came from you know Rudd and the and you know Richard Miles who negotiated that that uh, the deal with um, Papua New Guinea. After Rudd's, after Rudd's announcement. So, you know, it's been a strategic task for how to break uh, that bipartisan support. I mean, the fact that it doesn't matter what, you know, happens. Uh, we've seen another, you know, sort of death perhaps, you know, yesterday overnight on Manus Island. We're yet to hear some comments from the, you know, from the Labor Party. But the fact that politically, uh, the, the, you know, the people that's meant to be some kind of opposition um, is not any kind of opposition to, you know, to Turnbull over the question of uh, refugees. And that does mean that there's a very huge task on the shoulders of the movement, you know, to be that political opposition uh, that we haven't had for the last, you know, 17, 18 years on, on that issue. Absolutely. In general, that's true. And although it, happily, um, you know, Labor didn't support the, the lifetime ban, which, which was a good thing. And the boats. No, that, no, that's right. I think we need they to look at those boats. kinds of things. They're, yeah. they're small chinks. They're small chinks. The fact that the Labor Party, you know, uh, will get rid of uh, temporary protection visas. I mean, there, there is a reason to vote Labor against the against the Liberals, uh, even at that level. Um, and there, there have been some other Labor people who have been prepared to speak out. It's why the campaign has taken the issue of the unions, you know, sort of so, um, you know, 
so importantly, so significantly. Uh, they're both, you know, the, the organised elements of the working class. It's where, you know, the, the Liberals want to sink the racism, you know, sort of into the, into the community. But <clears throat> they also have a connection with, you know, the Labor Party and uh, shifting the unions, shifting their policy is also part of, you know, t- attempting that shift in, in the Labor Party as well. Ian, thanks for doing that because that's actually a really good follow-up and explanation in regards to the recording that the Doin' Time show did um, at that event and that actually aired last Monday. And, in fact, you can actually download that as a podcast if listeners are interested. So following on from that, on Friday, the Refugee Action Collective hosted a snap action. Um, and, in fact, in regards to the fact that protests are growing on Manus, um and there's footage, isn't there, over the cutting of water power and sanitation to Fox mm. um, Compound. Um, this is an, an attempt to force the refugees to leave the centre. And, in fact, um, the US deal has is a big mess, isn't it? Can you talk about that? It's a big mess. Um, yeah, the uh, I mean the, the Turnbull government <coughs> has placed a lot on, uh, on the US deal. The fact is that that except for the US deal, there there is no resettlement program anywhere. There's no it's not the Rue, it's not PNG. There's no other country. So they've put got a lot of eggs in the US deal basket. But but of course it's been fraught from the beginning. Like it's uh, eight months now since it was first announced, and not one individual has been told whether they've been accepted uh, and are eligible to go to. The, to the US. Uh, the uh, scheme itself uh, has been suspended because the refugee quota for the US has been filled until till October. So there's no prospect of anyone from Nauru or Manus you know, actually going to the US before the beginning of October. It looks very likely that people will be um, it'll be a year or, or and certainly more for most people before there is any <coughs> prospect of going to the US. But on top of that, uh, the recent revelations that have emerged over the uh, transcript of the uh, conversation between Turnbull and Trump, you know, has exposed, uh, certainly it's exposed, you know, Turnbull in a particular light as being, you know, the person that's saying to Trump, actually, you don't need to take anyone. All you need to be do is be seen to be doing something, and that's all that the Australian government wants to do. So as long as we can say, you know, there is a US deal and we are referring them to you and we can be seen to be doing to be doing something. And he actually at one point says to to Trump effectively that you don't you don't have to take anyone and you'd still be, you know, fulfilling the you know, the deal. So it's very clear that the deal, you know, has no substance. Uh, the the fact that it's pretty much verified out of that transcript that they're only talking about at most 1,250 people, um, and uh, that 1,250 people is not enough to take all the refugees from Nauru and Manus. Um, so you know there are serious, serious problems um, you know about anyone ever, ever getting to uh, the United States. The, the revelations that come out with uh, that have, have re- re-sparked uh, demonstrations on uh, you know, on Nauru, uh, who now believe that there isn't anything really to substance to the to the US deal on Manus Island uh, we've seen a very you know a, well very serious attempt to actually force people out of the out of the detention center to East Lorengau to try and force people back home and there's even though people are still in the detention center um, they've been depriving people of services depriving them of activities reducing the amount of, of, of points that they can spend inside the uh, detention center itself uh, they've limited now you can't buy anything at the canteen inside the detention center uh, except um, cigarettes phone cards and, and pens everything else is you know has gone and then they've used things like cutting off water cutting off power they've actually demolished you know some uh, 
you know, peripheral uh, buildings that actually were were being used to house people. So there there is quite a conscious effort to to place now Foxtrot compound under siege. It's been it's been blockaded. Uh, water and power was cut cut off. The garbage and it's been is piling up. Cut off. Pardon. The garbage is definitely piling up there. The garbage is piling up, although uh, that is something which has been as important. The resistance inside, there have been daily demonstrations at Foxtrot Compound since last Monday, a week now, and yesterday cleaners actually went in uh, to uh, you know, to the Foxtrot Compound the first time in a week. Yeah. Uh, and that's come about because of the, you know, the demonstrations and the, and the resistance inside the centre. You know, Ian, I wanted to actually develop a point um, with what the mainstream media is doing in regards or saying, because I really don't understand it, and perhaps you can shed light on this particular topic that I'm about to raise, there seems to be some type of dialogue um, about a phone call that apparently had leaked out between Malcolm Turnbull and Donald Trump about the deal. Yep. And it seems to me that there's quite a lot of unhealthy emphasis being placed on that phone call rather than what's really happening. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the media are certainly very excited by the, you know, by the transcript. Um, the, and, yes, I mean, I, I share some of your you know, frustrations. I mean, we've been attempting to expose all the things that we didn't have the transcript, but it was very obvious uh, from the beginning that there were the problems that are outlined by the transcript, that there wasn't enough you know, positions in the place, that you know, Trump and Turnbull were paying lip service to the prospects of... Uh, um, you know, of resettlement. Um, the, the the silver lining, though, to the uh, leaking of the transcript is, I think, it's now in black and white. You know, for people to see, it's not just you know, TCR Refugee Action Coalition is actually saying, you know, there is no, the US deal has no substance. So people can actually see the transcript. I think the other thing which has, you know, excited some of the media is that it is clear that uh, Turnbull said one thing to Trump and quite another you know, to the media and to the Australian Australian public. Like, he is exposed, you know, like his immigration minister is uh, being very loose with the truth. What did he say to Trump? Well, he said to Trump, um, if, you know, effectively, as I said, you know, you, you actually don't need to take anybody. Um, you know, and he's, 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 at, he's at pains to say, look, I've been trying to explain to you that... Yeah, all you need to do is look like you're processing them, but you can extreme vet them. Uh, you can take a thousand, you can take one hundred. And at one point, Trump says, "What if I take nobody?" And Turnbull says, "Well, that's what I'm trying to explain to you <laughs> that you don't have to take anybody." Um, whereas, yeah, and what he said to the Australian public, you know, was very different. Oh no, we had this, you know, it was, you know, cordial conversation, and that Trump's agreed to the, you know, to the deal and uh, put a very, you know, a very different. Um, interpretation, uh, you know, in terms of what he said publicly after that, you know, after that phone call. So it's, uh, I think people have been shocked to see, you know, the uh, the contrast between what what Turnbull actually said, you know, to the media after that uh, conversation, what's emerged in the, the transcript itself. So, basically, we can conclude then that the US deal isn't happening. Um, I don't think we can conclude that. I mean, I, I, I think in spite of everything, we are likely to see some people uh, go from the, <clears throat> in Nauru to to the US. I mean, there have been you know, whatever 650 perhaps interviews on on Nauru. Perhaps 200 people <clears throat> have have had medicals. I don't think they've gone through all that to take nobody. <clears throat> but 
the fact is that as we're sitting here at the moment having this conversation, uh, we could not be at all confident uh, that that it is going to happen. Uh, it's still sheer speculation. As I said, no one's been told they are going in spite of all the presence of UFC officials and the interviews that have um, you know, taken place. No one knows that. Um, so I think what we can say, though, um, is... Given the transcript, given everything we know, uh, there will be hundreds of people um, and perhaps you know, over a thousand people who are going to be left behind even if the US deal is, is fulfilled. Uh, so the, all the reasons that we had for bringing people to Australia in, back in you know, 2007, let alone at the, you know, 2017, um, there, there is... That all those things are still, you know, are still in place. We uh, we should be bring, sorry, so 2007 when the US deal was done, the 2013 when the, this particular version was put in place. So they've been on there four years. Uh, they should never have been sent, and they should be brought, you know, back to uh, you know back to Australia because there are no guarantees. So why, why are we going to keep people in Manus and Nauru for another three months, let alone another year or another 15 months before anyone who you know, might go to the US? So where are they going to go, Ian? What's going to happen with all these people? Well, I mean, I think ultimately, I think as long as the campaign yeah, remains determined, um, that the contradictions in the in the, the government's scheme and the, <clears throat> it will mean that people will ultimately have to be bought here. I mean, they're already you know perhaps close to four hundred now. Certainly, well, three hundred seventy, three hundred eighty people who from Manus and Nauru have been bought here for medical reasons, and and. I think the campaign remains strong to actually keep them here. There's legal action in place which you know, keeps them here, which the government hasn't tried to contest. Um, but the contradictions in the thing, uh, the fact that they can't send anybody anywhere, um, that uh, you, that's why you end up with the brutality of, you know, of Manus Island. They're just trying to force people and put them between a rock and a hard place. You know, we'll take away the water, we'll take away the power, we're going to make even worse the conditions of overcrowding and the, the lack of sanitation that already exists inside you know, Manus Island. We'll make that even worse uh, for you uh, unless you go to East Lorengar or unless you you know, agree, you know, to return home. So we can see it's the kind of mentality, I think, <clears throat> that lies behind so much of what, the, you know, the Turnbull government, you know, does. Um, there's, uh, there's, no, there's no carrot. It's all, you know, it's all stick. And then for the people on Nauru, as you said, it's, it's very clear that the money they've been handed to the Nauru government, they will maintain in Nauru as a, as a prison colony, you know, for a considerable time to come, for many years to come. What's East Lorendon? What's, what's that? East Lorengau. Uh, Lorengau is actually the settlement on Manus Island. So the detention centre is actually on the uh, what's called the Lobram na- Naval Base um, on, on Manus Island. So it's actually on the naval base. Um, and Lorengau is the Manus settlement, which is you know closest, the civilian settlement, if you like, which is closest to the detention centre. And there is an area at East Lorengau where the uh, the government has built, they call it transit accommodation. It's got accommodation for up to... Up to you know, 290-odd people, um, and it was put there for refugees to be shifted from the detention centre to this area close to the, <clears throat> the Lorengau settlement. But the problem is that the actual, the, the activities and the services and the food and everything that's associated with East Lorengau is actually worse uh, than it is in the detention centre. And on top of that, people are very vulnerable uh, to the kinds of, you know, savage attacks that we've seen of people being macheted with bush, bush knives, you know, by a you know, proportion of the small sections, perhaps of the you know the 
the lo- local population, but they they are prepared to to mug, to bash, you know, to to maim, you know, with bush knives, you know, as they rob people of money and you know mobile phones. Absolutely. Well, I'm hoping that I don't know. There, there's hope. Hopefully, there's still hope, and and we need to to bring them here, or we need to 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 somehow you know improve things here. Yeah, yeah, no, there's hope in the campaign. Well, the campaign still, you know, fights the government. Uh, the people on Manus Island and Nauru, they're continuing to fight for their rights and, um, you know, we can continue to, you know, push the, the Turnbull government as hard as we can. Absolutely. Look, Ian, thank you so much for coming onto the program. And we'll That's just okay. have, thank you. have to watch this space and, and work out whether, in fact, they, they do end up going to the US. It'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Ian from Sydney, um, who's involved in a refugee um, action group that, that uh, is is talking is looking at helping asylum seekers, and they've done a lot of extensive work on that. And just to um, talk a little bit about about the snap action that happened, it was at the state library, and the speakers um, included Janet Rice, Green Senator, voice recordings from Abdul Aziz and Amir Tawina refugees imprisoned on Manus Island and um, Aaron was also a speaker the Tamil refugee from the Tamil Refugee Council and I believe he's got a um, a radio show um, here and uh, do tune into that and and listen to some of the commentary in regards to um, refugees and asylum seekers so yeah it's approximately it's approximately 451. And um, we're we're actually nearly nearing the end of our show, and I'm just going to um, go into a cart. ستة. معلومات العنف الأسري. يستضيف مجلس يارا وخدمة فيدزري القانونية فيدزري ليجل سيرفيس جلسة معلومات عن العنف الأسري يوم الأربعاء الثاني عشر من تموز يوليو. من الساعة الثانية مساء إلى الساعة الثالثة مساء في مكتبة فيدزري وستغطي الجلسة السبل القانونية لوقف العنف الأسري يمكنك حجز مكانك على الموقع Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.53. And just wanted to quickly speak about um, Jan Lehman, who is um, has been in segregation um, in America, and he's a political prisoner. He's been in segregation since his birthday on March 21st, 2017. And it's important 
that um, people can do a few things to help alleviate the situation. Yarn's been in segregation for three months simply for issuing two statements, a clear violation of um, free speech and, um, and human rights. He is being threatened with transfer to a communication management unit, CMU, or special management unit. Punishments that are not appropriate for a prisoner of Yarn's age and would be a violation of um, practising free speech. So write, call, email the Bureau of Prisons Regional Director and ask her not to transfer Yarn to a communication management unit. Please remind her that Yarn is an elder prisoner and you are concerned about his health in segregation and you would be concerned about his safety if he is moved to a communication management unit. Mary M. Mitchell is the name of the warden, or director, sorry, regional director, um, BOP regional office, 7338 Shoreline Drive, Stockton, CA95219. And the regional email is wxrostexecaasistant at bop.gov.gov. So it is important. Um, I actually had the pleasure of um, visiting Yarn in prison when I was over in the United States many years ago now. And although there was a box visit, it was a box visit, I never forgot forgot him. And he's actually a very, very um, amazing voice on For Struggle Mag magazine, if you wanted to Google that. He helps to edit that. And he's done some amazing radio commentaries of his own. And he's also contributed quite highly and valuably to prisonradio.org, <clears throat> along with Mamir Abu-Jamal. And if people are interested in um, writing to him, um, Google Jan Lehman, J-A-A-N, second name L-A-A-M-A-N, and the prison is actually situated in Arizona. And, um, yeah, that, that'll be important. We're nearing the end of our show. It's approximately 456 We've only got a couple of minutes left, so um, but I'll certainly bring you his address um, next Monday as well for for convenience, so that people can write to him. Yeah, so that's quite a quite a sad thing, um, being being censored for just for expressing opinions and for expressing opinions for Lynn Stewart, who the Do and Time Show has done an extensive um, extensive coverage on Lynn Stewart, People's Lawyer. Um, who who was also a political prisoner. And it is important to look at international news as well. I know we've got to look at our own backyard as well, but it is important to remember that, um, you know, we have political prisoners all over the world and that dissent is, is, is already being criminalised um, everywhere. So it's approximately 4.57 and it's goodbye from Marissa. Um, tune into the Do and Time show um, every Monday from four to five, and tune in next Monday coming up, um, the fourteenth of August, where we're going to be joined by Claire Seppings, um, and and others to speak about the lived experience of prisons. Coming up is Beyond Zero, and we're going to be going out with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella, from the Rumpy Band. And thanks for Rob to help for um, to help produ- who who produced, and to Peter as well.
as long as you are true friend. 